Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gross. And this is The Back Peg, Nathan. It's episode 11. And Laz, we've got you in for a treat here. Yeah. Because this will be a half an hour chat with Manchester United. What did Florida, I? Yeah. Or the athletic Laurie Whitwell. Didn't mean to talk over you there, Nathan. What did I ever do to you to deserve this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll be good to have Laurie on for a chat and talk about uh, the imminent, or maybe not so imminent, sale of Manchester United. It'd be great to get Laurie's take on everything and where he sees it going and the future for Manchester United in the, in the short term. Hopefully it's not a bright one. But let's talk to Laurie. <laughs> And joining us on the back peg this week, it's a pleasure to welcome Manchester United writer for The Athletic, Laurie Whipple. Thank you very much for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay. Doing absolutely fantastic. Pleasure to have you with us. And uh, yes, a word to uh, all our non-Manchester United supporting listeners. Uh, This is going to be a bit red-centric. Yeah, I don't know how we let this one slip to the keeper, but let it be noted. <laughs> I'm not impressed, but no, let's let's go. Let's dive in because there's a lot happening with Manchester United and the potential sale. Obviously, and uh, the unrest uh, and amongst the supporter group. So this will be a very good chat. Oh, either way, looking forward to it. And Laurie, you've been you've been across this for weeks on end now, and you're covering the story pretty much every day. Just before we really get into the nitty gritty of it, is this the biggest story in English football for the season? Um, it is a big story, but slightly weirdly, um, I think because it's there's a bit of fatigue around it now, um. Mm-hmm. People aren't as engaged, maybe, with it. I mean, clearly, when when something happens major, then yeah, it will be a significant, huge seismic event because it's been, you know, if, if it is a sale that goes through, it's been uh, what eighteen years since the Glazers took charge, and the fans have, you know, been protesting the whole time, uh, really. And so, yeah, it would be a, a significant occasion if if they are to depart. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you've had Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, have a massive fallout with Manchester United earlier this season, and and just his global appeal is is so big that and the drama of that, the kind of the intrigue behind it was was um, pretty major. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose if if you sort of have a broader picture of it, it's it's the biggest story at Manchester United for for several years. It's just that at this particular moment, I kind of feel like there's a little bit of people sort of rolling their eyes at sort of incremental updates when actually the, the next big thing will be something that really catches fire. Laurie, what would you say the fatigue is down to? Is it because the Glazers have been involved with Manchester United for so long and there's been so much disease amongst the supporter group? Or is it because this sale is this, you know, sale has been intended for so long that by prospective buyers have come and gone and now we're seemingly down to the final two? So what would you put the fatigue down to? Yeah, I think um, there's probably a little bit of the fact that we don't really know too much about the, any of these guys, really. I mean, the Glazers have been silent for the whole time. You've got Sheikh Yassim, who, who nobody knew who he was before the press releases came out announcing his bid, and we still haven't seen at Old Trafford. So Jim Ratcliffe, he's been a bit more present. He's given a few interviews, but again, you know, he's sort of not really, not a player that people can kind of feel fidelity to. It's, you know, it's the business side of, of the game. It's, I don't know, it's, it leaves... A little bit to be desired, uh, and yeah, as you, as you mentioned, the Glazers have, have kind of just um, uh, they've, they've they've built up such a, a depth of um, ill feeling from the fans that you know I, I think people are kind of like just just get on with it, you know that they're obviously stringing this thing out to try and get the best price they can for the club, um, you know, with this you know, deadlines that have been imposed, which are all you know uh, all. <laughs> 
based on what the Glazers are saying mm. to try and you know generate uh, some 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 jeopardy. Mm. Um, so I think people are kind of looking at that and just thinking, listen, if you're going to sell it, please sell it. These are the offers that have been made. Um, you know, either accept them, don't accept them, kind of <laughs> get on with it. Um, I mean, they will say, well, yeah, we've got this asset. We're, we're allowed to uh, try and eke the best price for it. Mm. Um, so yeah, we keep on going. And it's not a foregone conclusion, Laurie, that the Glazers are going to even sell up at the end of all this. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I mean, it's changed. It feels like different week by week, depending on who you speak to, just gut instinct. But nobody knows other than the Glazers. You know, we, we know details about how Joel and Avram have got a bit more affection, you know, for the club than uh, the, the other four siblings. What that actually boils down to, I, I don't know, given... You know, we saw Avram at the Carabao Cup final for the first time since the Brighton home game. You know, sort of once a season attendance. Joel hasn't been, I don't think, for sort of three years. So, um, yeah, what does that actually look like in reality? That that affection, but nevertheless, there is you know debate amongst siblings about what to do in Manchester United. Um, and you know, if they could, the, the the big thing is the amount of money it'll take to build a new stadium or to renovate Old Trafford to improve Carrington. And I think once they saw the figures involved, they realised that they couldn't keep going as they were. They don't, just don't have the money, you know. That it's you know, the club is laden with debt, and so can they get some finance from a, an outside investor to come in and pay for that kind of work? Maybe, um, or do they have to just sell the whole thing and then let the next owner um, take up the mantle on that? So, what do you foresee as the position of the Glazers when it comes to? disposing their their control of the asset, as it were. Because, like you mentioned, Carrington needs work. The stadium needs work. Uh, you know, is the likely scenario that they divest their uh, interest in holus bolus? Um, you know, like, what is your take on it all? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if, if the Qataris came in, there's this idea. Idea that the Glazers uh, have a sort of six billion pound price in mind for the whole yep. club. So mm. I don't know if I don't know if that works out as one billion for sibling. Um, mm. <laughs> but uh, the but the the Qatari bid, you know, Sheikh Yassim's bid, they obviously have the money. They they could put that down mm. no problem by the club, um, and it'd be you know I'm sure the Glazers would accept that. But uh, but the the Qataris and Sheikh Yassim don't want to um, be overpaying for. Manchester United uh, won because, you know, as far as we can tell, they are actually, certainly Sheikh Yassim and his father, HBJ, the former, former Prime Minister of Qatar, all his investments have been with a kind of uh, a financial motive. It's not been necessarily through emotion or anything like that. It's, it's been to grow Qatar as a brand across the world, you know, his investments in London and, and New York, or for actually, you know, profit. So, and he's come out uh, publicly and said that he would see a football investment as just that, not advertisement, which, you know, then we could touch on issues around sports washing, but that's that's kind of been the the presumption, I suppose. But actually, you know, as far as we can tell, and, and the fact that the bids have, have gone in and, and sort of seem to reflect this, and that the Glazers haven't, you know, snapped their hands off, that actually the, the, the money that they're putting forward isn't uh, anywhere close to the £6 billion uh, price tag. So, so I don't I don't know whether there's a breaking point where the Glazers think, okay, our, our asset isn't actually worth as much as we we like or we could get, but this is the best offer on the table. Let's go for it. Or they think, no, we're gonna we're gonna stay, we're gonna wait, and we think that actually in time the asset can grow in value. I mean, if if you know if Eric Ten Hag does really well, 
if they somehow get some kind of finance to build a stadium, increase the capacity, raise revenues that way, you know, could could they stay and could the value of the club be even higher? Um, that's sort of one proposal put forward. So, but it, it is without sort of knowing, you know, without being in the room with, with Joel and Avram, it's difficult to say exactly, but these are some of the kind of things that people who, who have had conversations with them are thinking. It's interesting because, yes, Manchester United appear to be going in the right direction again after years chasing their own tail, to put it a bit lightly. Is it the case that the club is going to be increasing in value in years to come if those things sort of come off? Or with the way the world going, is someone putting five, six, seven billion pounds on the table in a, a year or two to come? Is that not really something that's realistic? Yeah, really good question. I mean, you'd think that with the Super League being, you know, kicked into the long grass for the foreseeable, I know it keeps sort of raising its head a little bit, but you know, it's it seems like that's not going to be a realistic proposition. It's certainly not a close shop um that they were proposing where it would basically be guaranteeing revenue year after year, which which would raise the value of, of the club. You know, you look at the, the value that NFL teams go for and because they've got a closed market. Yeah. Um so I, I think once that's out the window then I mean, what 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 massive revenue growth is there? I speak to some people and they say, you know, uh, immersive uh, technologies for fans, you know, globally, that that kind of thing, you know, really tapping into the metaverse. Um, that that's where there's some real growth uh, available. But you know, it's been a few years now, and we haven't seen that yet. So you'd thinking that's a, a long term thing if if it is a realistic proposition. So yeah, I, I don't really know. It could just be wishful thinking. Um, but we, we've known that they've got thick skin. You know, that we've had protests when they first arrived at Manchester United. Protests in 2010. You know, sort of, they get their name sung every time they they every every game at Old Trafford away games. You know, even at um, the Carabao Cup final where Avram attended, there was you know banners and and chants that they seem to be able to. You know, that doesn't really affect them, which I guess it it, it wouldn't do because they they live in America. So you know, it's not like they're having to face this kind of thing on a daily basis. So um, I don't think that will necessarily play into. It. I think it will come down to a financial decision. It's a fascinating point in case because. We know that Chelsea, or we suspect, we don't know, but we suspect that Chelsea was sold for two and a half billion. And mm. now you've got the Liverpool Liverpool um, sale somewhat in a state of flux, nothing really similar to Manchester United, but I guess the Manchester United one has uh, taken uh, more precedence uh, in the media and in the spotlight because of the fact that we have two documented offers, effectively. Mm. Um mm. What is the mood like in the UK or like locally in Manchester with regards to this valuation that has been put on the club? And what do they make of all this investment that potentially could happen with Manchester United? Because it's just mind-boggling that a football club in this day and age is potentially worth £6 billion. And mm. what is the return of, you know, like, and when you look at it from a business perspective, what is the you know anticipated return on investment over what period of time is the is the new owner yeah. going to make? You know, it's just crazy. So, what does the local guy in Manchester actually say about this? Yeah, so so many points from I mean, I mean, when you think about what the Glazers actually bought Manchester United for, you know, it was, it was seven hundred ninety million pounds, but it was only actually two hundred seventy million of their own money, and then they Correct. put the rest on the club. So, two hundred seventy million pounds to now. Yeah, I mean, I know they're not getting, you know, they've got 69% of the club. So if, if it was a £6 billion, um, you know, fee that was agreed, they wouldn't be getting all of that necessarily. Although we're still trying to figure out exactly what these numbers relate to. So is it, is it are those numbers for the 69% or are they, 
talking about the club as a whole and uh, the mm. enterprise value. So yeah. yeah, still to be decided. But um, whatever way you cut it, the Glazers are making a hell of a lot of money uh, for this, you know, uh, this, this investment. Um, so I think that that sort of leaves people to think, come on, what, what, at what point do you say that's enough? And, and do you actually, if you, you know, you care about the club, like you say you do, give it to somebody that would actually be able to invest and, and show it the love and care that you haven't been able to do really um, over the last 18 years. Um, I think a lot of people do just think, you know, give us Sheikh Yassin, the Qatar uh, money, uh, because they can actually uh, invest it into a new stadium, into the community. Um, you know, personally, I, I've got issues about a uh, that kind of investment, really, that, that kind of ownership structure. Mm. I know that it's a, a private investor through his uh, Foundation 92 um, uh, investment vehicle, but clearly there's a link to, you know, his father and then where that money comes from ultimately. So that's that's a point. And to your point, Lazarus, you know, what what return on investment would they get? Well, you know, surely this they'd have to, you know, sink a load of money into it to begin with before you could even start mm. to think about a return. And, and do they, would they really, you know, would they really care about a return? So Jim Ratcliffe, on the other hand, I think, I generally do think there's, the, there's a, 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 a feeling that he, went to Manchester United matches when he was younger, you know, a fan. He was in the new camp, uh, we're told. So that that kind of stuff I think is legitimate and, and he is at a point in his life where he's made a lot of money and, and this is something that he can, you know, try and end his, you know, life by having this kind of um feeling at the end of it. Um but he his his, you know, uh, because of the scale of the investment, he he has to use banks uh to to get, you know, mm. Uh, financial security. Um, Ineos is obviously a very wealthy uh, company, makes a lot of money. Um, but that, that I think Ineos will be taking on debt to be able to buy Manchester United. So it wouldn't be going on to the club itself. But you know, there, there is. It's not. It's not a clean sort of. We're buying it with cash um, situation, which is what Sheikh Jassim's bid is. Uh, so yeah, but but then he, you'd think that he would still put more care into it than the Glazers because you know he, he's he's already at Old Trafford. He's been, he's been there. We've seen him the pictures. Mm. Um, he, he's very hands on with Nice. Okay, that's another aspect. You know, yeah. yeah. I think the the, the the Qatar is you know, and the fact that uh, QSI own PSG uh, is is actually probably a lesser uh, situation than mm. the Nice. You know, it's very clear. It's very overt that Jim Ratcliffe yeah. owns Nice. Um, uh, I suppose Nice aren't in the Champions League, so maybe that's the you know it wouldn't actually have to be something that came to a head until they're in the same competition. But still, and we've seen Alexander Seferin talk about oh maybe you know yeah. um, multi club models that will be fine. So you know it's all it's all moot perhaps. But um, but yeah, you've seen Ratcliffe there at Old Trafford, and so you kind of think well he he would clearly be throwing his energy into Manchester United in a way that the Glazers just haven't. So um, I do think there's still something to be cherished by his proposal. Mm. Um, but yeah, we, we haven't, you know, we, we keep hearing that there's, there's multiple bidders. Um, I think the other bidders basically are minority stakes. Elliot, um, American uh, financial institution, putting money forward. I, I know we've we've had the uh, the Finnish entrepreneur come out, um, but I, I mean, I don't know, I've never... I'd like to drill down a bit more into that, but uh, th th this kind of you know crowdfunding uh, strategy that he's got, I just I don't don't see how that works in reality. Um, so yeah, it, it seems like it's these these two bids if if the Glazers are to relinquish control. But the the kind of mood over here is I think that it's a lot of money. I think you mentioned it, didn't you? Uh, it would be a world record bid for a, a sports 
uh, franchise sports club, uh, whatever happens, the bids that are already on the table would make that the case. So you sort of think, mm, okay, at what point do the Glazers go, okay, that's enough? Yeah, there's so many points to touch on there. Um, I wanted to mention the uh, the multi-club ownership model that Alexander Seferin was referring to this week that he's looking at relaxing the restrictions, which I was taken aback a little bit by because for mine, I'd like to see it uh, enhanced, the restrictions to try and mm. um, the sort of things you see across Europe where your clubs turn into satellite teams and I don't, I don't effectively see, feeder clubs for the most part. I don't see how it can, how the journey can be put back into the bottle with regard to this. That, that is the problem. And I would hate to see a point where, for example, the City Football Group have a club in every single country and they're all winning the domestic leagues. It's it's something that I worry about for the long-term future of the game. But getting back to the ownership, Laurie, is there a, a scenario where the uh, the consensus between the United supporter base is that there is a win option? Yes, nobody wants the Glazers to stay, but you mentioned the levels of debt that Jim Ratcliffe would have to take on with Ineos for him, for him to take control of the club. Nobody wants to hear the debt word associated with Manchester United in mm. the in the more column. But also, you mentioned the concerns with the Qatari bid as well. And for mine, there's something that feels finite with the Qatari bid. When you, mm, At least yeah. with the Glazers and Jim Ratcliffe, you can see a scenario where the ownership will change again. I don't really necessarily see a scenario where the Qatari owners, Sheikh Jassim, wants to sell the club in years to come. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, people have said that to me um, as well, that this would be, you know, the long haul, perhaps forever. Um, are people comfortable with that? Um, are, you know, should United really need a sugar daddy to come in and, um, you know, spend a load of money on players, you know, let alone you know, the, the infrastructure? You know, it's a, it's a club that generates £600 million of its own revenue and, and, could, and could generate more, you know, with certain... Tw- you know, if the stadium was... Hundred thousand, which it could easily be, and and sell sold out, and and you know they'd be making a lot a lot of money. Um, so uh, yeah, so I, I I have major reservations about that. I just think it, it changes what Manchester United then becomes, um, and and any that that is the difference. It's not you know, it's not necessarily where they're from at all. It's you know it could be an American, it could be American state owning Manchester United. It could be. Um, you know, South African state owning Manchester United, I, I would still have the reservations if, if that state had mm. so much money that they could basically do what they wanted. Uh, you've seen it with PSG and, and you know, the, the suggestion that, you know, Sheikh Jassim's bid, if successful, would do it differently than PSG. But, you know, that has become a circus where you've got players that are paid ex- just mind-boggling sums of money and transfers are, are committed um, for, you know, just just fees that no other clubs can can can. Uh, reach and it, it don't know it just changes the the sporting integrity of what you're trying to produce and a lot of people you know you sort of see it more online I suppose and just like well yeah great you know bring give give us the money sign all these players you know we 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 need to be the best um, but I don't know as someone that has seen United do great and also sort of struggle to to. Uh, reach those same heights. I just think the the ride is part of it. You know, it's part of the emotion, part of the connection you feel to the club. And these are community assets. These are uh, places where people can feel connection, and they shouldn't be used for something else. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, Nathan. I was trying to think what was the. <laughs> I keep giving these long winded answers that go in all different directions. Nah, you're doing all right, Larry. You're doing all right. With regard to the academy and player development, mm. it seems to me that. Manchester United had the class of 92 
And since then, it's been very little, few and far between. Whilst you know, the noisy neighbours seem to have a better grasp on talent development, has there been any focus or any discussion either at the club or amongst the supporter group as to what the heck is going on at that academy and what the plans are for the future? Because it, it, it's in order for football to be sustainable, I think, Lorian, I, I don't know your thoughts. Like I look at Newcastle and I think, well, they've got to develop talent and that's got to be the first and foremost thing that they do. It's a longer term project. If everyone's talking about longer term projects where you've got to develop your, you know, the players within your academy and actually make your own supply chain of, of players, right? What's what's the perception of the Manchester United Academy versus the Manchester City Academy at, at present? Yeah, I mean, United would, would say, well, we won the FA Youth Cup last season. Um, and so that, that was a, a bright spot. I mean, it was a horrendous season and you got like 70,000 people at Old Trafford cheering on the team, which wow. I don't think is necessarily a great, uh, sort of balance, but it was a it was a it was a great night, you know. And, and but it was a cup competition, so you know, sure teams can win cup, but it's a good it's a good marker. Alejandro Garnacho since uh, gone on and, and come into the first team, so they they might say that that's a good. And they do obviously have this run of consecutive games where they've had an academy prospect in the squad. It's it's incredible mm-hmm. back back to the nineteen thirties. Um, City definitely, you know, when the Abu Dhabi uh, owners came in. Uh, they made a real big play to uh, sort of attack having the best academy. You know that they they spent a lot of money, um, you know, getting make, making sure the best players were in the building. But I do think generally they have a very good system where you've got consistency of performance from first team throughout the age groups um, and players that are highly technical. That under their their model is much more on the team uh, ethic. So a, a player has to um, fit into the team. Whereas United, I think they develop individuals, which is you know two different. I don't think mm. there's anything good or bad no. about. They both got the merits, um, but it seems like City have got a kind of more consistent process for it. And then when a player doesn't necessarily make it, City they sell them for a, for a good amount of money. Mm. United haven't got into that yet. They they perhaps keep hold of players too long. They don't quite get the contract situation sorted out. I mean, City, you know, uh, I saw Lavia play for Southampton uh, at Old Trafford. It looked really good. You know, I think they, I'm not sure what the fee was, but it was over £10 million that Southampton paid for him. And he hadn't even got near the first team squad at City. So that's something that I think United needs to improve on. And actually the, the 21s this season, I think the aggregate was 12-1 to Man City. It's like 6-0 and 6-1 or something, the two, the two games, which just sort of, uh, shows, yeah, at that level, United like to keep it trim. The the younger age group, so that you've got players playing, you know, quite frequently mm. and, and knocking on the door. Um, but I do think then it, it 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 creates these situations where you get pretty thin teams, and then they they, they might get a paste in. Um, there's Kobe Mino I should mention as well. He he he's looked really promising. He's from Stockport, a midfielder who's who's been around the first team. He's played a couple of times this season under Ten Hag. So I think he's another good one that that was in the FA Youth Cup winning team. Um, and obviously Marcus Rashford is you know leading the line, and he's he's come through the academy. And, you know United held him off mm. from from going to Man City. Um, so they've they've definitely been spots, but I think just the general approach that United have for perhaps bringing players on and then and then selling them at the right time it sounds maybe a bit too like a meat factory if I'm sort of painting it like that like you don't want it to be detached from um, these these people as individuals and, and caring for them but at the same time I think that still shows a shrewd um, operation if, you've, if you're selling players for, for good value that come through your academy yeah I suppose the 
equivalent for Lavia at Man United might be Charlie McNeil, someone who's doing really well for one of the youth sides who's yet to break through. And I personally don't think he would go for over £10 million if um, he was on the market now because, as you mentioned, Manchester United just don't sell too well at the moment. And they're feeling a pinch of that at the moment with FFP. They're getting flying a, a bit close to the sun. Yeah, that's a huge point. I mean, um, they, you know, it's something that is, is is priming thoughts going into this summer transfer market. Um, I think they were you know, flirting a little bit close to it last uh, summer, but then United lost the first two games. Uh, it was Everton Hag's first season. It was like, <laughs> we need to make sure that he's got some back in here. And, and then they signed two more players after that. Um, so, yeah, it's certainly something that they have looked at, and and they will they will be selling. They have to, you know, they've got they've got a few players though that they could actually get some money for. You'd think. Um, you look at Dean Henderson, who's had um, a season out on loan at Forest. I know he's injured at the moment, but I think he's going to come back soon. And I think he would be someone that they could get decent money for. Uh, Scott McTominay, Newcastle were interested in him in January. I wonder uh, what might happen there. I hope and, not. And then Harry Maguire, you know, he's <laughs> <laughs> you like. Oh, so you don't. You don't. I, hope, I don't McTominay. want McTominay. No. <laughs> Definitely um, not. I, I I I have a soft spot for him because I think he 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 does a certain job. He 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 can get criticised for passing or or, or, would, or time on the ball. But I would take Fred. Um, take Fred over McTominay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because okay. of Bruno. Well, uh, in there as well. I yeah, think, okay. I they think that, that Brazilian yeah. combination. Yeah, I mean, look, I look at how Fred has developed. Well, I mean, he's been there for ages, right? But I look at how Fred plays with Casemiro. Yeah. Right and yeah, but uh, with a bit more security behind, yeah, him, absolutely. Rather than him, yep. the guy too secure. Correct. I love how we've got some Newcastle chat in here, Lazarus. We can keep going if you want, <laughs> mate. I think I'm going to have to take a shower after this. Oh, he's going just the United talk. No, but it's, uh, but yeah, it's uh, like when you look at the the uh, potential um, ins and outs of Manchester United, right, this coming summer. Who else do you see on 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 the horizon there? Considering that they've got this FFP issue, is Harry Maguire on the outs list? He should be. I I think yeah, I think that's one they'll have to look at. I mean, he he'll want to look at it, right? I mean, I think he's done a couple of interviews now where I would think so. He spoke to Andy Mitten after the game in in yeah in Seville and. Um, yeah, he said, you know, I'm obviously not playing as much as I'd like. So Victor Lindelof actually say for mm. Sweden uh, yesterday that he isn't playing as much as he's like. And, and he's, a, he's a really quality defender, but he kind of gets mm. forgotten about, really. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, I just think that, that, that is, there's money there. I don't know how much you get for him at the age that he's at. I mean, he's got a, he's, got, he's on good salary as well. So you'd have it'd have to make financial sense for him um, and, and or for Lindelof. Um, but I, I do think that's something that United are very alert to. They, they need to be selling better. They they know that. Do you think Maguire yeah, and... goes back to Leicester? Maguire? Yeah. Uh, well, not a bad shout that. I mean, they're in a, a bit of a squeeze mm. themselves. They've had a bit of financial trouble. Mm. Um, they bought Harry Suter, didn't they? And, and yeah. about Fez, that uh, they seem okay. Um, I, I, I hate... I, I was going to say Newcastle again. Uh, God no, no, don't, uh, don't wish that upon us. Well, you kind of need because it, it needs to be a, t- a team that he would go to. Like yeah. so, if if they're in the Champions League, maybe Spurs in a back three. You know, he sort of works well in a back three. But I mean, their manager situation, who knows what's going on there? So, oh, Spurs. Um, I think if Conte was hanging around, he would like him because Harry works better in a team that does sit a little bit deeper and tries to soak up a yeah. bit of pressure. There's not too many. Yeah. Sides in the top half of the league that play like that. It's only because he turns like a yeah. Mack truck, really. 
yeah. You know, that's why he's the back then, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's unfortunate. And look, he he, you know, he did really well at Leicester. Obviously, he had a really good uh, England campaign, and then got the um, deal to, to Manchester United, right? But and obviously, you know, he had that bad run. He had a decent World Cup, to be fair, right? That's the thing. He's he's got he's got talent in a certain yeah. system, and, it's, and if his confidence is up, I think his confidence has been hit. He's a confidence um, player, but I did, yeah. But I, and obviously, shift Tanaga shifted him from left to right, yeah. and you sort of think, oh, that makes more sense now. He's on the right, mm. great. Uh, well, actually, it's, it feels like he's not quite as comfortable. Um, and then you have him next to Lisandro Martinez, who's just so good on the ball and mm. can wriggle out situations and and sharp passing and aggressive and kind mm. of seem just, he's he's full of confidence as well. So it does. You've got this kind of juxtaposition there when when they've played next to each other the last couple of games. Um, so there is there is a player in there, and I, I do think he could do a really good job for you know another team that's not necessarily just got the focus of Manchester United. I mean that that was the other thing, you know, to to come into Manchester United for eighty million pounds and then yeah. be the captain within half a season just raised the expectation to a, a degree that wasn't realistic, and yeah. and I suppose we're kind of settling back down to a bit more of a, a natural level. So we're talking about all these potential sales for Manchester United. Is all this trying to get their ducks in a row to bring in a number nine? Be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> Be nice if they signed a number nine that could actually play for United for a few seasons and score a few goals. Because I mean, they've had an awful run of it. I mean, Lukaku was a the whole one string where... of uh, high, high, uh, high in the experience level, shall we say? Like Igalo, yeah, and... experienced, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the <laughs> stock gaps, just like repeated. Yeah. I mean, how are we here again? Vout Vergost in in the January win- window, like incredible, really. I mean, he's done fine. Like you know, he's, he is what you'd expect him to be. But he's a player on loan from Burnley who scored two goals in I think eighteen games now, maybe nineteen. Mm. But he started every single game since he signed. Like three days after signing, like one training session, he's in the team and he's just been on in the team ever since. It's it's absolutely insane that a club of Manchester United stature is in this situation again. Anthony Marshall clearly, you know, injured perennially. He mm. he needs to be sold really this summer. Um, and and yeah, I mean, then you look at what the options are. Harry Kane is someone that they've looked at for a long time. Uh, would he, you know, he's got a year left, so would Daniel Levy be it, open to doing something there? But it's, I don't think United want to get involved in a protracted saga again after last summer. It's got to um, be Kane. This Vic, got to be Kane for you. Got to be. Yeah, I think he would be. It's and and I'll, I'll be writing on this at some point on the Athletic, but it, it, he he would be someone that could come in straight away and mm. you know he would deliver goals and it would you know the dropping deep that he does the, the linking of play that, that Tanag likes that. Um, obviously Victor Osman someone else they're looking at a different type of player younger so maybe got some more value to him that way um, and, and Gon- Gonzalo Ramos as well I mean mm. you know, he was brilliant in the World Cup and he's still scoring goals for Benfica and he's mm. only 21 and, and Benfica do you know sell players like yeah, I know they get good value for them but you know there's there's some negotiation there so I don't know yeah there's options there but I, I know what you mean like I mean I, I kind of have a uh, I just think it'd be, be, be fun to see Harry Kane at Man United but obviously it'd cost a lot of money and do United I'd, have that? I'd rather see him at Newcastle United or Real Madrid, to be honest. Right? <laughs> <laughs> if but, you make Champions League, you never know. Yeah, that's right. But um, no, that's a good shout. I mean, and and you can see him fitting straight in. I, I think there's just really a shortage of number nines worldwide. I don't yeah, think there are enough yeah. being developed. And and that's why you're yeah. having, you know, and I guess that's the advent of the false nine as well and people trying to emulate a bit of the you know, uh, the Pep style of of play as well, right? Yeah. Whilst you had yeah. the um, 
you know the irony of Pep um, signing Haaland. Mm, yeah, who would have yeah. who would have just done the job at Manu? He would have done the job anywhere. I mean, the guys are free. Yeah, yeah. If only someone had recommended him to United yeah. years ago and, and they tried to <laughs> yeah. sign him. Or... <laughs> Sounds like that. Mm. Or to be fair, I don't think he was ever going to go. No, yeah, I, th- I do actually power. think yeah. the you know the, yeah, I, th- I do think that was a, a genuine yeah. um, of the factor yeah. in the situation. That's right. That's right. So, Laurie, where did Manchester United end up this season? Um, I think they'll end up finishing third. They are. They are. You can see they're tired. You can see that. Um, I, that Tenag doesn't want to accept that. This is fine. You know, psychologically, I don't think he wants to allow that to creep into play this month. Um, but there is, you know, there's, there's, there's a few injuries, a few tired limbs. Um, but then again, uh, yeah, I, th- I think they've got enough in the tank, enough points on the board to kind of keep picking up wins. They've got, they, they have got a good way about led to a Man- Manchester derby potentially in the FA Cup final which would yes. be um, pr- pretty wild yeah. and then um, you kind of think Seville uh, Juventus or Juventus or Sporting would be kind of interesting semi-final and then mm. potentially final in, in Boca there's good teams in the Europa League so I mean maybe that will be a push you know yeah. too too far for them but um, but yeah I think, I think third Laurie an absolute pleasure having you on thank you very much for your time where can the people find you? In Manchester somewhere, I'll be floating around, but uh, on the <laughs> Athletic, um, Instagram and, and Twitter, I, I, I like to get my socials out. But yeah, thanks so much for having me.